Hey, Pastor Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church, and I believe today God has given me a word that is going to speak to your life. Listen, we need strength and we need comfort, and today we're going to find it in the Word of God. Hang on, and I'll see you at the end of this message for prayer. Receive the Word. Acts chapter 28. Get, give me a few minutes today to get this message out of my system, and uh, it's a word that God's been stirring in me for a couple of weeks now. I want to preach a message today called Throw It in the Fire. Oh, Lord. Throw it in. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, throw it in the fire. When you have the word and you're open to Acts 28, verse 1, say amen. amen. Verse 1 reads, Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta or Melita. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice has not allowed him to live. But, somebody say but. He shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time, and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that his father lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed, and he laid what? He laid his hands on him. Now, just a few chapters, few verses ago, his hand was under an attack. But now the same hand is being laid on the sick for healing. I'm going somewhere today. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And they honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Throw it in the fire. Help me today, Holy Spirit, to teach and to preach the Word of God with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray for the people of God that they would hear it in the Holy Spirit, that the Word of God would come alive in their heart. Let faith explode and doubts die and chains be broken and strongholds be dissolved. I pray today for the Word of God to have free course in this house. Write it on our hearts, we pray. In the, oh, come on, pray with me, family. Write it on our hearts today. Write the Word down in us. I pray that the Word would come alive in us. We don't need a lesson. We need a breakthrough. We don't need a little nugget. We need revelation. So give us the Word of the Lord today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You can be seated in the presence of God. Today we find our text in 
the final chapter of the book of Acts. And I, for one, am thankful for the book of Acts. I appreciate the book of Acts because Acts gives us a front row, first hand point of view of the birth and the development of the church through the pen of Luke the physician. The Holy Spirit would document the historicity of the people and the places and the power and the presence of God that accompanied the birth of this entity we call the church. When the church was born, it was not born uh, in sophistication. It was not born through great strategy. There were no marketing classes, no social media platforms that the early church utilized to serve her interests and her purposes. The early church was born raw, wild, authentically hungry for the things of God. When the early church was born, the early church was born on a promise. They were simply waiting on a promise to be fulfilled. They were functioning and operating in obedience to the word of the Lord. Remember, it is Jesus who told them to go to a hillside and and they're standing on the hillside. 500 people heard him say, tarry in Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. And 500, according to 1 Corinthians, heard that 120 lasted long enough to receive the fulfillment of the promise. I want to know where the other 380 people went. Sometimes you've got to make up your mind that I'm not going to miss what happens in the room. Uh Everybody catches the promise, but not everybody receives it because not everybody can prioritize their life in a way as to be in the room when the Spirit of God falls. But I feel like there's some people in here today that have made up their mind, me and my house are going to be in the, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we're not going to miss what God does. People build their lives around all kinds of things. People build their lives around careers. They build their lives around, uh, around their favorite city. I've decided that Devin and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zion and Judah and Genesis and I, we're going to build our lives around the glory of the Lord. Because if you will build your life around the presence of God, God will make sure that you've been blessed with everything that you need. You say, do you have Bible? I wouldn't tell you if I didn't have Bible. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you put God as your priority and make up your mind, you're not going to miss your appointment. If you experience the grace and the power and live in the goodness and in the glory of God, he'll bless your house, your children, your marriage, your future, forgive your past, and he'll give you a reason to wake up every morning. Make up your mind, you're not going to miss it. There was 120 people who were in that upper room in the beginning of Acts. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place and in one accord, and that is not a Honda. And the Bible said that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and cloven tongues, hallelujah, Cloven tongues like as a fire sat up on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I want to dispel the myth and the lie and the rumor that the fire only falls on the preacher. 
because my Bible said it was cloven tongues and it sat up on each of them. What I'm trying to tell you is that there is a flame with your name on it. There is a fire that will only burn on your head. There is a move of God that's coming to you. There is a fresh Pentecost for you and your walk with God. And you don't have to go through dead, dry religious routineism. You can, you can find the fire of God. Oh, yes. Let me preach here for a moment about fire. Why I got you nervous, let me preach. You talk about fire in this day and time, and people get a little squeamish and look at you a little crazy. In fact, the fire of God is not a subject we talk much at all about anymore. And when we do, we put on our kid gloves and our preschool gloves, and we don't want to freak nobody out about talking about fire. But our God, according to Hebrews, is not a smoke. He's not, a, he's not just a passing cloud. Our God is a consuming fire. In fact, if you look throughout the Bible in every major development and in every major division of the Bible, you will find the fire of God. It is the fire of God that fell between the sacrifices of Abraham. It is the fire of God that led the children of Israel at night and he led them in a cloud by day. It is the fire of God in Leviticus chapter 9 that fell on the altar when they put the burnt offering on the altar. The Bible said the fire of God fell from heaven. But it's not just in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch. If you flip over to the historical books, 1 Kings chapter 18 tells us the story of a prophet who stood toe-to-toe with 450 false prophets of Baal. The Bible said the entire nation was in a place of division and doubt and confusion. And Elijah stood on top of Mount Carmel and said, If God be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him him but let the God that answers by fire let him be God and the Bible said that he prayed a 63 word prayer you don't mind if I talk about fire for a minute do you and after he prayed a 63 word prayer heaven came open and fire came out a fire so hot that it licked up the water in the trenches and it burnt the sacrifice on the altar and delivered the nation from religious pluralism and all kind of foolishness and witchcraft and bondage but that's not the only place I find the fire I find the fire over in the book of the prophets Jeremiah was depressed and ready to turn in his credentials he was tired of preaching because every time he turned around preaching the word of the Lord got him in trouble. The Bible said that Jeremiah ran into a cave. He said, I'm going to shut up preaching and I'm not going to open my mouth anymore. He said, but when I got silent and still in the cave, I found something going on down on the inside of me. He said, I felt the word of God. It was like fire shut up in my bones. Oh, I feel like talking about fire today. It's not just in the old Testament either. You flip over to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and here comes a long-haired Galilean with sandals. The Bible said that he that he's standing there at the Jordan River and John the Baptist said these words. I'm not worthy to latch at his shoes. I baptize you in water, but there is one coming after me who baptizes you in the Holy Ghost and 
with fire. It was Jesus who said, I came to set the world on fire. Oh, how I wish it were already burning. And you may think that's the end of fire, but if you flip over to Revelation chapter 2, Lord, I give you praise for the unction of the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist is left for dead on an island called Patmos. Nobody there to be his friend. Nobody there to give him an amen. Nobody there to give him a thank you card. But the Bible said that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And from behind him, he heard a voice and it said, Behold, John, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am he that was and is and is to come. And John turned around to see who it was that was talking with him. And he said, When I turned around, I wasn't ready for what I saw. I saw feet like brass. I saw eyes like fire. And it had a voice like the sound of many waters. We are not dealing with a limp-wristed Jesus tied to a whipping post. He is not a, he's not just a little lamb that they beat. He's the lion that rose from the dead. And he is a God of fire. And I feel him burning in my spirit today. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? He's from Genesis to Revelation. He's the God of fire. Acts chapter 1. He steps on a cloud and ascends into the heavens. Acts chapter 2, the fire falls. And here we are, the last chapter of Acts. And we're still talking about fire. And I like this text today because although it is talking about natural fire, it gives us some clues of this thing that we talk about in Pentecostal churches called the fire of God. I recognize that this is a natural fire, but there are some similarities and some lessons that we learn from this text that we must remember as it regards the fire of God. First of all, let me, before I get to this whole subject of the fire of God in the church, let me first of all give God praise that this text begins with unusual favor. The Bible says that they had a shipwreck and landed on an island called Malta. Malita in some of your versions. And that doesn't mean much in your natural ear, but when you look at the meaning of the word Malta, it'll bless you. It means sweet like honey. They went from a shipwreck to an island that was sweet like honey. If you go shipwreck, thank God that shipwrecks can lead you to a place that's sweet like honey. How many in here have ever been through a shipwreck? Don't tell nobody. You don't have to testify. You don't have to give it away. But how many can testify that sometimes it was the shipwreck that led you to a place of unusual favor? It, it was the mess that led you to a new message. It was, it was the chaos. It was the craziness of a shipwreck that took you into a place of unexplainable blessing. Has anybody ever been through anything that other folk went through and didn't survive, but you went through it, and not only did you survive, you look back at it now, and you say things like, how did I come out better? 
How did I, y'all, does anybody know what I'm talking about? How did I come out better? The enemy meant that to kill me with, but I'm actually in a better place now that I survived that. Oh, it's a, it's a sweet place. I just want to announce over somebody's life, you can go through a shipwreck and recover. You can go through a shipwreck and recover. In fact, God is the only one I know that can take you through a shipwreck and bring you into a sweet place after it's over. And you don't just survive, you come out thriving because if God be for you, who can be against you? They land in a sweet place. Look at somebody tell them you're about to land in a sweet place. About to land in a sweet place. I know you just came through a divorce, but you're about to land in a sweet place. I know you just lost your job, but you're about to get a better job. I know you just went through a bad situation, but you're about to come out of this. You're about to land in a sweet place. This is even crazier. They're on this island, and they start finding out where they are. And the Bible says that there were some people there. Now, the King James uses a rough word. It's called barbarians, and it doesn't mean that they were vicious, vile people. It simply means they were not Greek-speaking. They were, they were foreign to, to Paul and to Luke, and they're those that were on this trip. And the Bible says that, watch, they built them a fire. It was cold. It was the rainy, winter, cold season. And when I began to read this text, I thought to myself, we live in a cold, stormy, crazy world. We need some fire. I'm thankful that when I get cold, and I don't know about y'all, I don't know how y'all are, but my wife and I, our blood temperature is so diametrically different. You come in my living room, you can hang steaks. You go in my bedroom, I break out in a sweat. You look over there at Devin at night, she looked like an Eskimo under nine covers. I'm trying to tear everything off and just have no covers at all. But everybody in here can attest to the fact that when you're cold, it feels good to get warm. We're living in a day and time where the Bible said, the love of many, come on in here, talk to me, Lord. The love of many will wax cold. People get colder and colder, meaner and meaner, more hateful and more hateful, nasty attitudes. You can't find no sweet people. Dear God, can we all agree today that we're going to be sweet this afternoon at lunch? When you leave here on Sunday, if you're going to go somewhere and act hateful, don't leave a track or tell them I'm your pastor. I need some people to leave here on Sunday morning and go to the restaurant and leave a track and a $50 tip and tell them, God bless you, we love you, and if you ever need prayer, get to the redemption to the nation's church. We need some sweet people. We need some people with the fire of God. Say amen or something in here, family. There's too many cold people. We're getting cold, and we get a lot of brave people who hide by pen name, behind pen names, and they hide themselves and disguise themselves as cowards, and they feel real bodacious, and they talk to you crazy on social media. You've got to learn how to ignore fools. 
Don't you call him a fool. The Bible said the fool has said in his heart no to God. I didn't call him a fool. The Bible said the Bible. The Bible said they were. Can I tell you today, you can't get cold because everybody else does. You can't get mean because everybody else does. You can't get nasty in your attitude because build a fire. Build a fire. It's a stormy, rainy, wintry world we live in. The Bible said that these people built Paul a fire. And when they built him a fire, Paul understood something about this fire. Number one, he did not, he did not create the fire. He didn't send the fire. But he understood as a steward, it doesn't matter where in the Bible you look at it. God can send fire, but you and I are required to tend the fire. I'm going to lose some help right here. We shout when fire falls. We don't show up when it comes time to pray and keep the fire burning. I ain't getting nothing. I'm not talking about we this high. I'm talking about the church at large. Many people want to show up after the fire falls. But what we've lost in the church is an understanding of stewardship of fire. God sends the fire. God will send people into your life to help you. He'll send people to you who will bring the fire of God into your life. But you don't get the privilege of living off their fire forever. You got to learn how to tend what God sends. They, God sent Paul, this group of people who built a fire, and then Paul says, I'm going to have to steward this fire. Watch this. If I want to keep it burning and keep it hot, I'm going to have to go find some sticks. I want to challenge everybody in this room to understand something. There is a season in your life where you do what Paul does. Look at this text. It says, verse 3, and Paul gathered a bundle. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, neighbor, there is a season for gathering. If you don't understand the power of gathering fuel for the fire, you can lose it. And it don't take long because the Bible said it was raining. (laughs) You don't put fresh fuel on the fire. Last time I checked in Chattanooga, water will put a fire out. There are people in the room today, you have known the fire of God in your life. You have known the burning presence of the Lord in your life. You have known what it is for God to set your spirit on fire and to burn for the things of God. But somewhere in your burning up for God, in your blazing for Jesus, you forgot about stewarding the fire. And if you don't tend it, you can lose it. If you don't spend time gathering, that's what I want to thank God for people who have a prayer life today. 
I want to thank God for people who come to prayer meetings. I want to thank God for people who spend time praying and not just consuming the heat from the glow of the fire. Every time you pray, you're gathering sticks. Jesus. Every time you give an offering, you're gathering sticks. Are you listening to me? Every time you, 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 you push a meal away on the first three days of the month when we fast, my Lord, how many times have we announced the fast and you thought I was talking to your neighbor? If you want the blaze of God in your future, you better spend this season stewarding the fire wisely by gathering sticks. You got to gather fuel for the fire. I don't care whether it's from Genesis to Revelation. There is always a source of fuel for fire. Fire has to have something to consume or it goes away. And I'm going to tell you where you start. If you really want to know where you start, throw yourself on the altar and be a blazing torch for the glory of God to consume. Stop with the religion. Stop with the church on Sunday morning only. Stop with the convenient compartmentalized Jesus Christ and say, God, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, seven days out of the week, 12 months out of the year, I belong to you. I don't belong to them. I don't belong to that. I will not just be another religious entity in a building called a church. I want to burn for the glory of God. Set my soul on fire. Pastor, I'm confused. What is, are you talking about like real fire? I'm talking about spiritual, hot, holy fire. You can feel it in your spirit like you can feel it on your hand when you put your hand in a real fire. <laughs> I I've, I've get tickled sometimes in Pentecostal church. I, listen, I just want to give you a caveat and an explanation that will suffice for the next 30 or 40 years of our time together if the Lord tarries. In Pentecostal churches, people do things I can't explain. I seriously cannot explain it. I, 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 don't know, I don't know why people fall in the floor, but they do. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Why would people fall in the floor? Because the, the God of heaven invades their soul. It's, it's possible that they fall in the floor. It's a miracle they don't explode. Why did... Why did he shout like that? Why did she shout like that? Because it's, it's called getting quickened. <laughs> Tell me the next time you see a person touch 120 volts of electricity. Tell me the next time you see that happen and they quietly back away and say, that was so cerebral. I did it before. I touched 240 volts. It shot through me and made my heart skip. It burnt my fingernails. When I got hit, I can't even react today how I re I'd pull something. You, 
You don't control your response when your body comes under that kind of power. And when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes on the inside, people get in touch with holy fire and they weep and they shake and they fall and they cry out and they cry and they might run and they might dance and you might not, but you didn't feel what they felt. So if you'll just keep your heart and mind set on him and let everybody else. Now, I'm going to say that and I'm going to say this. If you feel fire, we want you to burn. But I don't want you to get in the way of somebody else encountering fire. So if I have to just kind of pastorally lead you into another place, don't get offended. This is a house where we want the fire to fall. And we want it to fire in our soul. We want the fire in our heart. We want the fire in our thinking. We want to blaze with the glory of Jesus. We don't want the world to become something we're attracted to when we've seen eyes like fire. We want to run after him. And that's this kind of house. When you build a fire, bugs. Bugs like fire. You're going to attract some different, unique kind of creatures. <laughs> Listen, let's just do this now. Let's decide we're going to be a house mature enough to handle all the creatures. Because there are people in here who've been Pentecostal all of your life. I am 41 years old. I've been Pentecostal 42 years. <laughs> My mom took me to church nine months before I ever came out. I was Pentecostal before I was born. How many know what I'm talking about? There are other people in here who left Methodists, Baptists, other Pentecostal places that said they were Pentecostal but are not. Sorry. <laughs> My point is this. We're all passionate about one thing. The burning glory of the power of Jesus Christ. I want it unadulterated, white hot, authentic, and down to the core of our being so that this world loses its allurement and we find ourselves weeping because we love him and we know he loves us and our soul is touched by the fire of God. So let people experience God how they experience God without you pointing your religious finger at them and tell them how they need to experience God. Because there are people in this room today who took off running this morning. I know these people. They don't run for anything. They wouldn't run if Bill McMahon showed up with a $10 million check. And they took off running today because something got a hold of their soul. Something happened down on the inside. I am here just to tell you today that when you have the fire of God, it is real. It is consuming. It is not something you got to create. It's something that you have to tend So they had the fire. Paul said, I'm going to steward this fire and I'm going to tend it. So he goes and he does what he ought to do and he gathers some sticks. 
Make sure you gather fuel for your fire. It will go out if you don't fuel it. You don't have a prayer life, you'll lose your fire. You don't have a word life, you'll lose your fire. You don't throw your heart on the altar and, and die to self, you'll lose your fire. Dr. Horton was spiritual father and a mentor in my life. He told me one time, he said, Kevin, every man I ever met who lost his ministry and failed miserably, every one of them told me unequivocally they lost their prayer life first. Fuel the fire. Paul goes and he gathers a, bundles of, a bundle of sticks and he gets, watch, he, he carries the fuel to the fire and when he gets close to the fire, the heat of the fire pushes out the snake in the, in the sticks. Now, now, now let, me, let me talk right here because you don't know where the snakes are and who a snake is till you have a fire. Oh, I'm getting ready to offend a whole lot of people. You, 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 you don't know. That's why I refused, I refused to marry. You ought to refuse to marry anybody who you hadn't been in the fire of God with. Because <laughs> you don't know what's in them until they get in the fire. Yeah, y'all looking at me crazy now. Devin tells about that first date we went on. That first date we went on, I was preaching. She got in the car. And we're on our first date. She's sitting there, and I said, I'm going to turn the music up and do what I do. She said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm about to pray in the Holy Ghost for an hour. And she's sitting over there going. You say, Pastor, Pastor, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. I wanted to see what she did. Because I know she was fine. Snakes can be fine. I knew I had the right one when I started speaking in tongues, and she did too. You understand what I'm talking about? I knew I, knew I had the right one when she wanted to go to, a, to, a, to an evangelism service on our first date. Y'all ain't saying nothing to nobody. See, the Bible said that God will try us by fire. If you don't have a fire burning in your church, that's why nobody gets to be a deacon, an elder, a leader, a pastor until I see what they look like in the fire. Because it's when the fire starts burning that the snakes can't handle the heat. Too many churches are building their church on structure and appearance and good looks. And what we've not had is the fire burning long enough to test. And we get shocked. When revival hits and the move of God hits a church and a quarter of the people leave and people start going to other places, why? Because they can't handle the heat of the fire of God. I ain't trying to make nobody nervous, but I pray every Sunday God turn the heat up of his presence in this place. Because I want everybody in this house to understand that this little cute thing that we call church and we're trying to reproduce it and we're trying to make it a product of mere strategy and metrics. I'm all about metrics. I'm all about strategy. But if it ain't birthed by God, put it in a book. Put it back on the shelf and, and don't tell me about it. I want to know where the power of the Holy Ghost is. I want to know where the person of Jesus is. I want to hear feet. I want to hear voice like the sound of many waters. Feet like brass, eyes like fire. 
The Bible says that he put fuel on the fire, and the heat of the fire drove the snake out of the sticks. It was in there, but it didn't show up till it got on the fire. And when it came out, I want you to look at what it attacked. It did not bite Paul on the face. It did not bite Paul. It it bit his hand. Now, this is interesting to me, and it's not just an accidental detail that is included by Luke the physician. I believe there's a spiritual implication of of the snake attaching itself to the hand. Everyone say the hand. Come on, say the hand. The hand of the apostle. And I've taught you this before, but if you weren't here when I taught it, let me reteach it and you catch it this morning. Whenever you see the hand in, in Scripture and there's a focus on the hand, I believe it's pointing us toward an understanding of the apostolic of God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the, the servant of the prophet went out in the middle of a drought and a famine and said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Why wasn't this why wasn't it the size of his foot or the size, come on, or his finger or, the, or his ear? No, it was the size of his hand. Why? Because what he's announcing is you tried to get rid of God's program in the earth, but the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher are always going to be the function of God in the earth. That's just how God sets the house in order. And I taught it like this, and don't miss this, but the thumb is the apostle. Why? Because the apostle touches every other function in the body of Christ. The apostle has to put his, put, put his influence on the, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. This is why there's such weakness in the body. Everybody in the body of Christ is not a pastor. We call every preacher a pastor. That is not how we ought to be operating. It's not about titles. It's not about what you call them, but you can't receive the grace on them if you don't properly identify the grace that God has sent upon their life. So we got people who are apostles operating in apostolic grace, and we call them pastors. I'm getting ready to make some people real nervous right here, but I'm going to tell you one of the greatest revelations that ever came to my life, and it freed me, is that my primary grace is not pastoral. See how the offense and the craziness sweeps through the room? I'll tell you why. It's because people in the church want to make everybody in the pulpit a pastor. Some people, the worst thing you can do is make them a pastor if they're a prophet. You don't want a prophet for a pastor. You'll be crying and weeping all the time. The apostle is a, listen, the apostle, that word apostle comes from a Greek word. It wasn't even original to God or Jesus. It was original to Rome. Rome would conquer a city and they would send a Roman apostle to turn the city they conquered into little Rome's. And when God raises up apostles, it's about advancing the kingdom. We don't get to come and tell people what we want. We get to come as an ambassador of the kingdom and say we are here to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Apostles, prophets, that's why it's this finger because the prophet always points people. He points at you and then he points or she points at you and then she points us. He points us to the heart of God. This is one reason why there's such uncorrected. Oh, the Lord gave this to me this week. He said, Kevin, the church is largely uncorrected. 
We're largely uncorrected. We run around with crazy mouth, crazy attitude, crazy people. We got people, I, I want to know who their spiritual fathers and mothers are. Because somebody needs to love them enough to say, this is heavy today. This is not kindergarten church. This is a real church. People running around and, they, and their title won't even fit on the business card they give you. Where'd you come from? Where's your home church? That's what I like to ask. Well, I don't have no home church. Well, you ain't coming to mine. I'm submitted to nobody. Then you have no authority. Apostle, well, carry on, Wallace. Apostle, prophet, pastor, got to be careful with this one. Get you in trouble right here. But that middle finger is the evangelist. Why? Because if if you straighten your hand out and put it forward, the first finger into the, into the darkness is the evangelist finger. The evangelist pierces the darkness first. The evangelist goes into places where the gospel's never been preached and preaches it, and their souls saved, and the kingdom begins to invade. We need to activate evangelists. Third, this one, the fourth one, that's the pastor finger on the ring finger. Why is that the pastor finger? Because there's a vein that comes through this particular finger goes all the way to the heart. This is the finger we put the ring on. And the pastor, we often say it like this, is married to the church. And then there is the pinky finger, which is the teacher. And this is why church, some churches are so chaotic and they have no order and they have no, they have, they have no stability in their faith. It's because nobody's teaching. And you can't be grounded if you don't have teaching. Growing up, we used to say things like this. They need to be rooted and grounded. How many ever heard that? Rooted and grounded. We ain't got no roots and we ain't got no grounding. We get up every single Sunday and seeing how high we can holler and how loud we can shout. And I got up, we shouted and hollered and ran and danced. But at some point, you got to sit down with me and we got to learn the Bible. So when the snake attacked the hand, he attacked the apostolic presence and ministry of God in the earth. And it's further verified in this, that several verses later, the same hands that were attacked were used to bring healing. And here's what I want you to hear me say. If you want to know what God is getting ready to use, look at what the devil's attacking. I said something right there. God is getting ready to use Paul's hand to bring healing. Before God can work through that hand to bring healing, Satan attacked it by attaching a beast to it, trying to inject it with venom. The enemy will always attack what God is getting ready to use. Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? Look at how the enemy attacks our children. I'm getting ready to walk around and say something right here. Look, at, you want to know what God's getting ready to use? There is one reason I believe I know God is getting ready to use young people in this house and across this nation. It's because they are in the crosshairs of the enemy and the devil is trying to destroy them and bring confusion to them and speak lies over them. It's a beast trying to attach to what God is about to use. But I feel like walking around and telling the devil, he is in trouble. He, he showed his hand to too early, and I know how to pray. God is getting ready to raise up your children, and what the devil tried to kill, God is about to work through it.
There's getting ready to be a generation of sons and daughters who rise up, who know how to shake something into the fire. Throw the devil. My God, I feel like preaching. Here's the problem. Let me get to this and we got to go. Lord, have mercy. Churches who have enemies and no fire have nowhere to throw the enemy. (laughs) Jesus, I praise you. You ever seen churches just keep fighting the same old stuff? Same old devil, same old Jezebel, same old spirit, same old this. You ain't got a fire. When the fire's burning, you've got somewhere to throw that devil. I am telling you right now, by the grace of God, we better keep a fire burning. We better keep a fire burning to throw every attack of the enemy that shows up against you and I. If all we do is shake it on the ground, it'll crawl away and come back later. But if you've got a fire burning and the enemy shows up, you don't have to throw it in the ground. Slap somebody near you till them throw it in the fire. Throw the depression in the fire. Throw the sadness in the fire. Throw throw the spirit of division in the fire. Throw racism in the fire. My God, we need fire. Not to make us feel good. Not just so we know we got it. We need fire to deal with the enemies that are coming against the church. The devil don't like the heat, so I say turn it up in the name of the Lord. Can we just have cute church? You can't deal with a principality in cute church. You can't get rid of spirits of infirmity in cute little church. You gotta have the Holy Ghost blazing. You need, we need the fire of God blazing so that when the enemy shows up in your life, we bring it to an altar and throw it in the fire. Getting ready to close here in a minute, but I'm going to tell you right now, we entertain what we ought to throw in the fire. We try to talk out what we ought to throw in the fire. We try to sit down and compromise with things we ought to throw in the fire. I want to tell you right now, you need to shake some stuff off that's trying to contaminate you. It's trying to inject its venom into your life. It's trying to make you bitter. It's trying to make you sad. It's trying to make you heavy. You're not meant to keep it forever. Paul showed us what to do when the snake shows up. Put it in the fire. Throw it in the fire. Well, I just need some counseling. I thank God for counseling. But some of us want to counsel out what the old church used to cast out. This is what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is that this word for viper or beast is the same word used in Revelation for the beast that shows up in the last day. I'm getting ready to say something right here. Now, he is a dragon in Revelation. He was a hissing serpent in Genesis. Now, he started out as a little snake hissing, and he turned into a dragon that is roaring in Revelation. Between Genesis and Revelation, he went from a snake to a dragon. Who has been feeding that joker? 
He was a snake that lied to Eve and to Adam. He was a snake that hissed and, and talked them out of their destiny. And then in the end, he's a dragon waiting on the, on the Messiah to come through the womb of a virgin so that he can destroy the Messiah. But Jesus told us what to do with him. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said, Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What in the world happened there? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. And when it said, I saw him fall, the fall in the Greek, it's an ongoing fall. It means it happened one time, but it does not have an end. He keeps on falling. I don't think you heard what I said. I said the devil keeps on falling. Every time the enemy shows up in your life and tries to talk you out of your destiny and tries to trap you in temptation and tries to bury you in shame and tries to bring you hopelessness. Every time he sinks his veins into your life and tries to bring you a spirit of heaviness, the Bible is clear. Jesus came to show you how to throw that devil in the fire. He's not supposed to be in your mind. He's supposed to be under your feet. And the God of peace shall soon crush Satan. Under. Slap your neighbor. Tell him throw it in the fire. Hey. In fact, we're getting ready to go. But I want somebody in this room right now that knows that the Holy Ghost is real to give God praise that the enemy still, still is defeated by the power of God. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I'm through preaching. If you and I, stand with me, are going to effectively deal with the enemy, you got to have a place to throw him. You got to, lift your hands, I feel the Lord working in here, thank you God. If you and I are going to have a place to throw the enemy, you got to build a fire, tend it, so that when the enemy tries to show up, you say, pastor, if you don't build a fire, you never have to worry about the enemy. Yeah, but if you don't build a fire, you're going to get cold and die. Fires are not optional. Fire is necessary in the world that we live. We need a fire. How many need the fiery presence of God burning in your heart? I'm talking about, I'm talking about you need that touch of heaven. If that's you, just lift your hand and say, God, I don't want to live without the fire. Come on. I don't want to live without the fire. Listen, I want to pray for you today. I believe this message is bringing uh, a strengthening to your faith. In fact, some of you have needs today in your life, and I want to pray for God to meet those needs. If you need healing, I want you to know that Christ Jesus is a healer. If you need provision, I want you to know that your God is a provider. Whatever you have need of today, nothing is too big and nothing is too small for God to meet it. Father, we thank you today for every man and woman that are watching this broadcast. I pray today for those who have needs in their life. They need you to heal them, Lord. They need provision. They need strength. Many of them need to be freed from depression and heaviness. And I just ask in Christ's name today that the power of your precious Holy Spirit would come up on them wherever they are. Break every yoke. Meet every need. Jesus, you're a miracle worker. And by faith, 
We thank you that the power of God is working in their life right now, turning everything around in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, we love you. We can't wait to see you next week on this broadcast. Until then, we're praying for you. You're in our hearts and we'll see you soon. God bless.